Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. I think narcissists oftentimes are patsies. Not every time, but I, I think you can take their ego, which is kind of out of control, and you can leverage it to your advantage. One of my favorite questions is to ask someone, what's your opinion on this? So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and boy, do I have a show for you today. We have a really fascinating guy. Uh, Pete Turner is a former Army combat spy with a thousand missions in conflict zones in a variety of countries, like fun places like Bosnia, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, um, and Egypt. And he went on missions to uh, find the people, informations, and secrets that enabled commanders to win. So ultimately, he succeeded because he learned how to earn the trust of the most dangerous and evil people in the region. So this is going to be really, really fascinating because he uses his ground truth, which is um, a way that he illustrates the realities that exist below the tactical level. So he really gets to like learn the mind of these people and understand what makes them tick. And so we are talking about that all today and learning how to deal with the narcissist spy who you love or might love you or that you're trying to get away from or that you're negotiating from with or to or whatever. And um, how to gather data against narcissists or what narcissists are using against you to prepare for negotiation. So, oh my God, how fascinating is that? Welcome, Pete. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always wonderful to be on, uh, on someone else's show and taking the time to talk about these concepts. Yeah, thank you. So tell us a little bit more about your background and, you know, your life as a spy and and all of that. I want to hear all about how you ended up there and and what your training was and what you learned. The tries its best to kind of give you uh, a mooring in in what you might do. In my job, it's particularly complex and diverse. You, You might be a lie detector guy. You might go work at a consulate somewhere. And in my case, I mostly worked on the side of a mountain or in a uh, war-torn village or whatever it was, and that's where I would work. So the training you get is really basic, and it was up to me to sort of figure out how to do what I do. And not many people do this kind of work, because usually they want to do things that are safer and uh, have, long, <laughs> have longer careers. It's really hard work to go out to combat zones and, and talk to people. But the big things that I learned was... Um, 
although force was a, a thing for me to protect myself, I had to protect myself with personality, with charm, with, you know, people needed to want to talk to me. And I'm a pretty likable guy in general. So I use that to my advantage to always be genuine with the kind of person that I am and just be genuinely curious so that when I encountered new people, I was fun to talk to because people that are fun to talk to, you talk to them a whole lot more. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you learned how to do this with like yeah, super yeah, dangerous, sure. I mean, psychopathic, yeah, certainly narcissistic people, people, right? That, um, they're really the regular people that decide to take control of their environment. And that, that's what a warlord really is. And, you know, at their genesis, they just like, I'm not going to let this system uh, impact me. And they, they develop these, uh, I mean, very narcissistic tendencies. I would say they probably, narcissists probably self-select into these kind of roles because you have a lot of power. You have a lot of, uh, you have the ability to look around yourself and go, yeah, I built this, you know? And so it, it, I think it gathers that personality type. I mean, there's definitely people that have other, there's definitely psychopaths and sociopaths in that field as well. But people that are uh, extra legal, we'll call them, you know, they're in a war zone, they're selling drugs, they're selling fuel, they're whatever it is that they're doing. These people have a lot of, a lot of wit to them and a lot of courage because they have to, because they're not going to rely on the, uh, the systems around them. They're going to build their own. Yeah, so well, your job to, to go in there and talk to these people was what? To get them to do what? Their, their mission, whatever their mission is. And the mission is rarely, the mission always has the element of seek, find, and you know, close with and destroy the enemy. But the thing is, is that that's not really how modern war works. So you can always go find a military fight. And there's a lot of people focused in that part of the problem. And, and I, I lowered that on a priority for me because... The other things that matter more, like what is truly going on in town? We have all these programs we're trying to run. We're trying to teach uh, Iraqi men Microsoft Office suite, right? You know, well, is anybody interested in doing that? Does anybody already have that certificate? Uh, are they asking for that? Or are we just doing something to do something? And so a lot of the things that I would look for would be the, those, those prime things. Like, are we actually successfully doing this? And along the way, you meet people. And, and you don't, it turns out, Rebecca, this might surprise you, people that are doing vile, dangerous, murderous things, they don't typically walk around the street saying that that's what they do. You don't, you don't, you have to be introduced to these people. And so my job is to meet all the people I can and sort of assess them and rank them towards like, who do I need to talk to again? You know, and, and ultimately, who can I build trust with? And once I build trust, then can I get that second and that third introduction into that person who otherwise would never want to talk to me? Well, the primary thing that I do is, is I use cold. And so how do you do that? How do you build that trust? We're taught, at least in the military, but I think in general, we're taught to not be offensive. And that's just the, uh, that's, not the way to approach culture. Culture is about curiosity and teasing out what's great about them. You you live in Southern California. So I could bring up several things about Southern California and then you would be you'd be bound by your culture to talk about these things, especially if I get it a little bit wrong. You know, um, like if I was to say to you, you know, the beaches in Florida are way better than the beaches in Southern California, you're going to respond to that. 
you know, and even if it's true, you have to respond to it. Now we're in a conversation about something and I get to ask your opinion and I get to create impulse through your culture and then exchange my culture back to you. And that's a slowly like that's adding pieces of trust into the puzzle. Okay, so, but, you know, there are people out there who are listening to me who are, they already know they're narcissists. You know, they're dealing with them on a daily basis. They may have been married to them. They may still be, it may be a business partner. It may be a client or a customer. So what do they do for that? How do you build trust with that kind of narcissist so that you can gather data and information that you can ultimately end up using against them? I mean, I, I, uh, you said in the intro, I think narcissists oftentimes are patsies. Not every time, but I, I think you can take their ego, which is kind of out of control, and you can leverage it to your advantage. One of my favorite questions is to ask someone, what's your opinion on this? You know, And it can be a hard thing, but they're going to talk to you. And then once you get them talking, you just continue to let them sort of like, if you were to see me working, you wouldn't think I was doing anything other than just having a really interesting conversation. That, that's all it would look like. And so what I'm looking for, are what are the things that get them talking, get them excited? And when they get excited, I shut up. I sit back in the seat and I let them talk. And that makes them ultimately like me. You know, I'm nodding, I'm smiling, all those things. But that, you know, they see agreement. They see someone who is interested in what they're saying. And for a narcissist, that's, that's butter in the bread easy. And, and I'm not being obvious about it. I'm not like, oh, tell me more. You know, like that's, that's too much for me. So I, I just let them talk and let them create the influence that they want to create. And then I inject when I need to the things that I'm trying to get out. Like, what do you think about this? And it's sort of like a magician's game where it's a closed question. Yes or no, yes or no. You know, and so when you have these closed questions, or if I want to, if I want to narrow down, I'll ask a basic interrogative like who, what, where, when, why, how, right? Those kind of questions. Because then I can get into the stream that I want to get into and take them down this conversational path and ultimately potentially lead them to a conclusion that's comfortable for me. My biggest thing I do is is I figure out what their cultural path is and I try to accomplish my goal through their normal way. That's the basic way of saying it. So if, if the goal is to get more kids in school, I'm going to ask them, how would you get more kids in school? And I'm going to try to work in their path. Like, what do you need from me? What's the least amount of work I can do so I'm not in your way? So you can be the boss and get more kids in school. And if I can explain that back to the people that I'm working for, we're all in a better position because we're doing less, we're following their plan, and we're getting closer to the path that gets us to more kids in school. It may not even been a goal for them right away, but we asked them how to do it. And we tried their path. And, and then you can evolve that path. Would this be better than that? Would this be better than that? And you keep going down this, this decision tree and you can, you can create quite a bit of influence with that. Oh, so interesting. So when you talk about unperceptibly controlling a conversation, is that what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liken it to, um, there's two ways I liken it to, like the, the, the river guide who gets on a wild river and takes you down it. You know, they're sort of in control. Like they know which like left or right around this rock or whatever it's going to be. And sometimes they say, hold on, we're going to go over this little waterfall. And you're like, oh my God, a waterfall, you know, um, or riding a, a horse, you know, saddleless. And I want to get that horse running and I want to let it run. As long as it's running generally towards where I want it to go, I'm going to let it run as hard and as fast as it wants. Let it be free 
And then I'm just imperceptibly nudging it with my knee or whatever. I'm not trying to force it in any direction because the direction I want it to go is where it goes. And if it ends up going to, if the conversation goes to a spot where it's not working for me, I can always take control back. But I don't want that that person I'm talking to, to to sense that. You know, you can close out a conversation stream and say, okay, that's interesting. Let's talk about something else. And then bam, we're on a different thing. So with narcissists, it's it's pretty easy. You know, like you can just ask it. I don't want to say it's easy. It's straightforward. You can ask them a question like, what else is interesting to you? Or what's one problem that you think you could fix easily? You know, and then now you're in this conversation stream. So whether it's in business or in a relationship, um, I think you can use the same tools, you know, depending. I mean, relationships are all so different. It's hard to say specifically, but understanding where they're going and what they're doing, if you're trying to create a situation where you have more control, I think you can guide them uh, down a path that they're comfortable with a lot more simply than try to create your own path, their own combative thing. Because now you're going to take away that, that need that they have to admire themselves. Yeah, and control the situation. Right, right. So you you have to imperceptibly, and it's not that part is not easy to because your your ego is going to battle theirs. You're going to be especially in a relationship. You're going to be hurt. You have to learn how to set your boundaries, work within it, right? Have them have that horse in a big corral, but but get it to run in a direction. Okay, I know I can always go to Monday Night Football, and then they will get excited, and then when they're in that good mood, I can do my ask, and I can say, "How about this." And then get that little bit of influence in there. And it just, you don't have to win. You just want to nudge and, and trend it towards where you want it to go. I mean, at least, at least from my point of view. Yeah. I mean, I think from, you know, what you're saying is that the, one of the best pieces of, of information that you're giving here is when you're getting ready to negotiate with them, like before you're actually in the conversation of negotiation, is to get them talking in ways that will allow them to basically build their own noose in some ways. Yeah, 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 for sure. And you're not looking for surface level conversation across the top, right? You want to get them when you, so I listen for things, not to people. I mean, yes, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm listening for the moment that you're talking about right there. I'm going to take that and I'm going to use that to my advantage. That's my lever. And then I'm going to dive down deep into their brain. And when I get them accessing their brain, when you hear the person go, um, like that, they're clocking, right? They're, they're trying to think of what the answer is. And once they're in that spot, in that zone where they're thinking, that's where you explore and really find out what that person thinks about this one thing. And again, it's all about them and their idea, their concept. You're trying to map the infrastructure of their mind. Because what you think is in there is not anywhere near accurate. So if you can map how their brain works, you're a lot more successful in trying to avoid conflict. You know, like it's like walking through someone's living room in the dark, right? You would like to know where the couch is. You would like to know if there was a dog laying there. And you can't know that stuff by focusing on your ego, your needs first. You have to understand where, how they make decisions. And, and that's where that you know, like when you go to a conflict zone and you see people do terrible things to each other, you, you, you think, oh, how could they ever do this? How could someone walk up to someone and literally shoot them in the face and then brag about it? But you have to back up five years, 10 years in their mind and understand how they got to that point in the first place. Yeah, that is so fascinating. So how do you figure out, how do you map their mind? You know, where do you start? I know everybody on, on this like wants to know how do you do that? Well, it's easier said than done. That's that's the first thing. Because it does require you to release a lot of control and a lot of ego. You have to wash yourself out. That's where you start. 
So uh, I call it tabla rasa, a blank slate. You have to have a blank slate. Even if you know everything about this person, you have to be willing to take all of it apart and be wrong about all of it so you can rebuild it and, and see like how they approach a problem. Because that, that can be the main thing. I mean, look, I don't know what one in 10 people, one in 15 people are a narcissist. I mean, it's a common disorder. It's not, you know, there are well, far more narcissists than there are psychopaths, right? So you're going to meet these people all the time. And a lot of them are able to function normally. You know, they, they might think that they never get anything wrong. They might, you know, self-aggrandize. But the thing is, is there's a lot of people who are effective out there. So if you're in a relationship or in a business with someone like that, you know, at some point, something they did was was good enough for you to say yes and enter this significant partnership with them. Figure out where where that kind of turned, and then if you're going to stay in the relationship, I mean, you have to do this. And if you're going to try to get out of it safely, then you still have to do it. But I, I would just spend a lot of time re-understanding, erase everything. You still have the same pieces. You can still test theories, but maybe you put it together wrong. Maybe you smash the puzzle piece down to make it fit when um, there was a more elegant solution. So I would focus on elegance over um, any other sort of word. You know, if you can find that smooth path, even if it's a long, crazy path, that is the elegant path. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. If someone loves college football, you can say, what are your thoughts on Ohio State? They will have an opinion. It doesn't matter what it is. You're trying to compel them to go in a direction. You're learning how to get this horse to run. So that's, I mean, that, that's how I approach these things, is get them talking, continue to be likable and agreeable towards what it is that they're talking about. Even if it's this vile and disgusting, you have to work on understanding. You don't have to approve of something that's horrible, but you have to work to understand. When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party. Judges can rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Negotiate Your Best Life podcast. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging, like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation Cheat Sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. Whatever you name and claim and proclaim is what what you're going to manifest. And so, uh, you know, I learned very early on um, this staying in the stinking thinking or the verbal vomit uh, that is not going to do anything, and it's going to it's going to hold you hostage. And now we return to today's show. Is there one particular uh, thing that you would say is is common to every single narcissist 
you know, when you're dealing with them, when you're trying to figure out how to map them, like what's, what's, what's something in every narcissist map? I think what you can find from them is there's two things I would say. I think you can start, even though you're supposed to be blank slate when you start, I think you can start with some kind of traumatic events in their childhood that caused them to have less worth, you know, maybe a domineering father or something like that, right? And, and so if you can find those things, you can be like, oh, okay, this person is trying to prove to everybody that they're a lot bigger than they are. So you have, you have two wins here if you can figure this out, if you can unlock that piece, if you can find that, that early childhood damage. One is, is you can always pull the lever of, of saying you're not good enough and then get them, compel them to do something and, and you can't be direct about this, by the way, because it's pretty obvious when you do it. But the other thing is, is you can give them that, that satisfaction that they have earned in a lot of cases. Like, you really are doing this really well. You know, you're doing a fantastic job of this. And then, again, create those suggestions to get their, their sense of where they want to go and, and ask those decision tree questions, those yes, no, or those more closed questions with interrogatives. Okay. And so you also say um, that you can establish trust internally and externally. What does that mean? So when you're establishing trust with someone, it's like a credit card, right? And, and rapport is a subset of trust. So we'll just include rapport into this whole thing. <clears throat> if you extend credit of trust to someone, low risk, low consequence trust, you know, and see if you can get it back, see if you can get exchange going, right? That, this is the internal conversation between you and somebody else. You can, when you build that up, you can then leverage that credit externally to that next person, to that next meeting, whoever it is, because this person be like, you have to meet Pete. He's such an incredible person. He's so nice. He's so interesting. And now I've got that external trust. They're taking the credit that I created with them and they're now putting it on somebody else. Even if that person doesn't necessarily need to know me, you know, you, you're getting a benefit, a dividend externally with that trust. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. So and you also say never ask for what you want directly. So when you're dealing with a narcissist yeah. and, and <laughs> I, I've talked a lot about that too, but I want to know what you mean since you've dealt with like the most dangerous high It's not that it's not that you can't ask directly. It's just why start there, right? So if I walk into town and I say, who's got the bombs and is planning the attack? And if that's my first question from everybody, that would be the direct approach, you know? And and that's just it's never gonna work. But if you can become someone that that person wants to talk to, they'll start to tell you everything. And if you let them talk, and if you in your head, you look like how much am I talking versus how much am I listening? And if you be mind, if you're mindful of what else can you find out from this person, and you realize that the less you talk, even silence is a question. I can just shut up, and then you're just going to continue on with the next thought. And then you could take that thought you get and you could say, expand on that. Ooh, that's fascinating. You know, these are the kind of words you can say. You can just simply say, ooh, that's fascinating. Wide open. It's a question, but you haven't said anything other than that's fascinating. They're going to give you more. They have to. You know, if someone loves college football, you can say, what are your thoughts on Ohio State? They will have an opinion. It doesn't matter what it is. You're trying to compel them to go in a direction. You're learning how to get this horse to run. So th that's, I mean, that, that's how I approach these things is get them talking, 
continue to be likable and agreeable towards what it is that they're talking about. Even if it's this vile and disgusting, you have to work on understanding. You don't have to approve of something that's horrible, but you have to work to understand it. And then that gives you the, uh, the, the indirect ask later on. You're like, oh, actually, I got something even better than what I thought I wanted. Now that I know this person and I know I can specifically get this thing, then you can ask for it. Um, or you can say, how would you help me? You know, what would you do? Like, what's your advice? And sometimes that advice is garbage. Just sift through the garbage to get to the thing that you want and work that thing. Okay. And, and so you have talked about linking your tactics to your strategy. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So if your strategy is to get out of this relationship that you're in and um, have a healthy co-parenting situation, what are the tactics of doing that? Is it winning an argument on Friday night when you guys have the kid exchange? Probably not. So you have to think tactically. What are the things that are going to nudge towards my strategic goals, right? And so if you're bad at understanding because you just cannot stand your spouse, you're going to have to limit your exposure to them and how you talk to them and, and force yourself to hear what you're saying so that you don't undermine your own success. If you can limit the damage that you do to your own goals, now you're being good tactically. You at least have a chance of advancing it because you're not undermining it. Like I'm, you think about these abandoned parents where like the one parent just says, you're never going to see the kid. I'm not going to allow it. I don't care what happens. And now you're going to spend $10,000 in court. Well, that's a terrible outcome. And that outcome started at first, but like, hey, let's break up well. Because no one's like, let's break up terribly. Let's have a rock star divorce and let's really tear our kid apart over it, right? No one starts there. And so you have to, you have to figure out you know, what that goal is, and then always make progress towards it, even if it's painful progress, even if it's two steps back and you have to slow down, it takes two extra years to rebuild that part of your relationship. That's where the strategy is guiding you. So your tactics have to follow that and your strategy has to be mindful of your tactics. Yeah, that's, that's such, possible, you know, but that's such really good advice. I mean, I talk all the time, you know, and in my SLAY program too, you know, I, SLAY stands for strategy, leverage, anticipate, and focus on you. Now there's no T in, in SLAY, so it didn't really work out for me to add the T in there. But, <laughs> but it's certainly um, part of that, you know, because your strategy, I love the fact that we're, with the word slay, strategy actually is the very first thing because that's the most important, I think, you know, like that's your end goal. That's your vision. That's where, where am I going? Um, and, you know, and how am I going to get there? You know, and then the tactics are the day-to-day -day thing. I mean, that's the way I look at it in my mind. Like, is this, going to get me where I want to go with my overall strategy. And there's a layer below that too. I mean, you can have your tactics like we're going to meet on these days, these times. I am not going to get into a fight. When they throw a bunch of poison at me, I'm just going to brush that off and know that, look, when you're in a bad relationship and it breaks up, it hurts. People are hurt. And, and I mean, I've had friends that have been divorced. I've been divorced. I mean, big breakups take years to recover from sometimes, years. Sometimes you never recover from it. And so even though the person you're looking at is, is vile to you, you can't stand them, you do have your overriding strategy of let's co-parent really well. And sometimes maybe that T is time and allowing time for that person to get over it. You know, when they see you, when you show up with your boyfriend, you show up with your new girlfriend or whatever it is, you can't assume that that's not going to hurt them. You know, and so if your goal is to create this good environment for your kid as you guys co-parent, 
you have to surrender some of these things because the ground truth may not allow your tactic of we're going to meet on Fridays. Like, just not possible right now. Let me find an intermediary to do this because it's just too painful. Or let me, you know, the ground truth says you can't bring your girlfriend to this meeting because it's going to drive your ex-wife bonkers. And that doesn't, that's not good for me. Like, so when I was gone all the time, think about my ex-wife, I was gone all the time. I paid well over double on what I was required to pay each month. I had plenty of money and I wanted to make sure that because she had to do even more parenting, I could have just paid the whatever, $700 it was, but I didn't. You know, I paid way more. And on her birthdays, I sent her to the spa. I'm like, get a break, get a rub down. Because even though we weren't in that kind of love anymore, we still love a daughter. And, you know, it's not about my ego. It's recognizing that what her reality is, is day to day, she's mom and dad. And I wasn't giving her any relief besides financial. So I had to at least show her that I care. Oh, that's so good. So tell me more about this ground truth. You, you, rec- you, you uh, I mentioned it in your bio and then you just um, referred to it there. What, what's that? Tell us I more mean, about it's, that. It's the reality that you're dealing with and you don't necessarily get to know what that reality is. So if you're breaking up and your husband, you know, has this new young girlfriend and, and he's not uh, doing visitation in the way that, that you like, you have to understand where they're at. And if you want to be able to have more influence on it, right? And so you don't like the outcomes that are going on, but how much do you truly know about that? Maybe maybe that's not a girlfriend. Maybe it's uh, someone who's a roommate helping split, but it appears that a girlfriend because they get along well or whatever it is. Who knows? But you have to accept that whatever the reality is and that other side of the, the relationship, whether it's business or whatever it is, you need to understand what's possible there. And that's the ground truth. So if you... Uh, We'll use a military example. If we want to come in and build a brand new academy for for young girls, because we're desperate to get girls to be educated in that valley, well, you have to understand that the elders are going to say, hey, but um, that's not possible here. Uh, We have to have, I have to be able to go to work safely and return. I have to know that when I leave my house, my home will also be safe. There's two layers of safety. And then girls have to be able to safely walk to and from school. If you don't have those three layers of safety, believed, it doesn't matter if they're real, if the perception of that in the village is true, then you can work on goals like getting girls into a special academy because the ground truth allows for it. But if you just say, hey, we built this school, we're going to be every two weeks, we want to see how many girls are in school, you're going to get a performance of reality and it's not going to be what you actually want in terms of uh, the success that you're claiming when you brief it to your boss. We had 40 girls in school. I'm going to go there the next day and be like, there were no girls in that school. Matter of fact, you know, here's the reality. And that will take the commander and they'll go, well, that's not what I want. How do we fix this? You know, and then that's a new question and a new way to approach it. So that's what ground truth is. What is really possible in the area that you're, that you're trying to influence or impair or prepare or change? Mm, fascinating. You know, recently I actually was just watching um, the Netflix, I think it was on Netflix, special that on the Bee Gees and they were interviewing, um, you know, the only Bee Gees that's left, Barry Gibb. And at the beginning of the, the show, he says, I don't think there's any such thing as truth. I think it's all perception. Everybody has their own perception. What do you think about that quote? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's truth, but it has to be mutually agreed upon. 
you know. <laughs> but then again, it's perception, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the perception part of it's totally true. You know, the thing I've learned is that the perception of danger and all these things, it's always the specter is always way worse than the problem. And if you get to the problem, you're like, well, that problem makes sense because these things go together in a way that doesn't matter. How do we break these things apart to change that, that danger, right? So perception always outweighs it. And Powered really narcissists on the planet. They're beaten back into the corner because there's fear in there. There's a cultural change in how people respond to these things. So, I mean, he's right. You know, two different perceptions at the same event. I mean, look, I made my career. I've made a ton of of influence happened because I would go on the exact same patrol as somebody else. And they would say, the government is working for the people of Afghanistan. And I would be on the other side by the tree over there talking to that dude. And I'm like, what's the last thing that happened in that, uh, that building over there? I'd point to the government building. And they'd be like, that guy owes me money. Nothing good comes out of that place. These are two realities from the same patrol. Which one does the commander care about? He doesn't want his back rubbed. He wants to know where the problems are so he can deal with them. And so, yeah. There are, I mean, perceptions and truth, it's a, it's a tough game. And again, if you can limit your mistakes, if you can limit the damage that you do to your own goal, your own strategy, you're going to be much better off than focusing on changing somebody else. Much better off. Because if yeah. the person's not workable, you know that you're doing the things you need to do to create this environment. And you can always work off of that until they're more compliant or you've built up enough trust or whatever it's going to be. But if you're screwing yourself up more than, than you realize, which you probably are, then that's where the work is. Yeah. I mean, so much of negotiation, because what you're talking about, all the things that you were doing was a negotiation. It was one big negotiation. And so much of it is psychology, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how often have you told your client just to shut up when you go to negotiate something or mediate something? Just shut up. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. You're going to be mad. You're going to be pissed. You're going to want to say something. That's not the goal here. You know, you don't want this immediate win. You don't want to be direct. You don't want to come because now you're changing your goal to I want to hurt this person's feelings. And that doesn't do you any good in your long term thing. Like you can't just keep hurting someone's feelings and expect them to be like, okay, I'm going to get along with you now. You know, like, well, plus you're never going to get them to see your, your way, never, your side. Never, never, never. I mean, it's not, it's not like a narcissist is going to go, you know what? You're right. Actually, I am a scumbag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's so true. So I, again, you're looking for that those things that are agreeable that you're trying to sort out the path. This is the ground truth and culture. You're trying to sort out the path that they're comfortable walking down, and like, hey, if we can accomplish this goal by you walking down a path that you're comfortable walking down, and I still get to go where I want to go, it doesn't matter if it takes ten extra days because that is the path, and you don't have to yank someone up a hill that they don't want to go. Like, I'm terrified of that. I don't want to do that. It's, it's like if someone is a vegan, has been a vegan their whole life, do you start with, hey, let's go have hot dogs? You're like, you don't. You don't You don't try to make them eat meat. You try to figure out, like, where can we go together to go get a meal? You know, what can I try in, in the vegan palate to, to get there? And then, boom, now you recognize their their vegan nature. You didn't try to challenge it. You're just trying to work within what they are. And next thing you know, you, you've tasted some vegan food, and you're like, wow, that's actually really good. And you've you created something by not having to be in control, by not being direct, but being honest though. You're still genuinely honest and trying to make a better relationship with that person. Yeah, and, and it's all within a, a, a paradigm of your own set of control. Because, you know, you can always say, here's my choke point, here's where I'm walking away and I'm not having this conversation anymore. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with boundaries. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, you can, you can say this is, you know, this conversation is no longer fruitful. 
let's talk in a couple of days and we're both less angry, whatever, and just spin on your heel and walk away. And while they're still ranting and raving, you will have deflated the situation, at least by your absence, you know, and, and not put, not made, not weakened your position even further. Exactly. Oh, so, so fascinating. I feel like we could talk about this all day. I mean, the whole psychology of it and, and, um, kind of perceptions and the ground truth, really, really, really fascinating stuff. I love this conversation. So, um, so where can people learn more about you? You have your own show, by the way, which I just recorded. I don't know if it went out yet, but I know I recorded with you as well. Uh, it's called the break it down show. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, the uh, the live version that we did is out. And then the uh, recorded version should come out probably in a week or two. Uh, it's it's a show where I do basically the same kinds of things. I, I take my spy skills and I talk to people. I, I meet people that, you know, you'd be like, how do you know all these people? It's all spy skills. And so um, I met you through somebody else. I get introduced. I get that external trust exchange, you know. So I, I am great at getting fantastic people that you're like, how in the world does Pete do that? And then also, this will sound weird for some people, but I try not to talk too much on my podcast. I try to let Rebecca talk when it's Rebecca's you know episode. I'm doing all the talking now because I'm the guest, but if you and I are on, I'm trying to get to somewhere where you're talking and you're just giving us gold left and right. That's my job. And so the Break It Down show, you might have an author, you might have a, uh, a Navy SEAL, you might have a... a like we're going to have a, a master of Kaji Kimbo come on and, and talk. And how interesting is that? This person has dedicated their life to a martial art. And, and you know, when you're at that level, you're not just, hi you know, karate chopping and stuff. Like you're, you're really mystical with it. And so you, you never know what you're going to get. It's very Rogan-esque in that the, the people and the guests that come in, you, you never know what the conversation is. And even if you don't know who this person is or what they do, by the end, you're going you're gonna to love what it makes. I'm fascinated by that. That's, that's what the Break It Down Show is. And you can find this, breakitdownshow.com. You can go to my YouTube channel. If you type in Pete A. Turner on YouTube, you're going to find a zillion videos from me. I do five, five shows a week. Nice. And um, do you have a website as well? Breakitdownshow.com. Uh, yeah. And then okay. probably the best place so you can watch the lives there. And there's, okay. uh, we're coming up on show 1000. And uh Amazing. Been doing this for a while, so yeah, it's a lot yeah. of fun. It's changed my life, and and I, if nothing else, I love it. So you get to watch me loving it, you know. <laughs> well, you know, this is why I like to actually do these the, my podcasts and my interviews as well because I get to meet incredible people like you. You know, if I didn't do this, I wouldn't get to you know have a reason to have these conversations. Yeah, so. it's so true. It's the conversations. I was talking with um, he's a writer in Hollywood. His name is Greg Hurwitz. He's written comic books, movies. And, uh, you know, best-selling novels. And the guy is, has done it. I mean, he's, he's done it. He's figured it out. And he is so brilliant. He ties so many things together. And it's just incredible to have your mind blown constantly. You know, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to blow my mind because if my mind's blown, I, I'm assuming that yours has been too, you know? Totally. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been totally fascinating. So everybody, please go check him out. Check out Pete, check out his show, go to breakitdownshow.com, follow him on Instagram, find him on social media, go watch his YouTube, subscribe to it. um, Check it out. It's really, really fascinating stuff. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. 
Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life. Thank you.